So uh, we just finished Josiah and looking at uh, kind of a character study of Josiah. We didn't, it wasn't one specific text that we looked at uh, because Josiah is found in several parts of the Bible, but we really kind of looked at who he was and what we could learn from him. I thought it was a pretty fun series, but I'm also really excited to get into this one. And uh, today we're going to be beginning our walk through the first letter of the Apostle Peter. It's a, it's a powerful, powerful, jam-packed letter. It only has five chapters, but there is a lot in it. And uh, in this series, we're going to be exploring this letter verse by verse, section by section, really examining uh, this in its entirety, attempting to dive in a, a little bit deeper into the richness that, and the truth that I think this letter really has to offer us today. First Peter is full of both hope there's some encouragement, but uh, there's also a lot of practical insights into how we can live our lives as the people of God in this world, in this world that we live in, to live as not citizens of this world, but citizens of our kingdom that we belong to, the kingdom to come, the heavenly kingdom. And the emphasis of First Peter is of a Christian life that truly stands out. That we stand out when we live a righteous life as we're called to, and we seek to live as God has called us to live, we stand out in the culture around us. And that's the series title, Standing Out in a Foreign World. I think we also, oh, there it is. There's a graphic already there. It's a really cool graphic. Just wanted to draw your attention to it. I'm excited about it. I think it really depicts the uh, imagery of standing out in a foreign world pretty well. And uh, today, though, I want to spend a little bit of time kind of unpacking Peter's letter in a more general sort of way. If you uh, have been coming to Church at Five for any length of time, um, I know a few of you have. Look at this guy right here and uh, from the first service. And uh, I tend to do this, especially when we're going through these kind of New Testament books that have a little bit more depth and doctrine in them. I like to start off by giving a little bit of background on when it was written and why it was written and to whom it was written and by whom it was written. Uh, And I want to say that, but I also want to emphasize that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that here. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God, but it was written by those who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by this is that these words that we're going to be getting into have a definite authority in our lives today. And we want to really just let that weight sink in as we begin to kind of embark on this journey through First Peter. And it's with this in mind that we want to take very seriously all aspects of what, is being, what was written in this text. And to me, this includes the context of when it was written, why it was written. Uh, the time period can play a big factor in what was going on in the culture That helps us to kind of adapt what he's trying to say and how it applies to our culture today. And also the author and recipients can tell us a little bit about the purpose of this. We did this with James as well. And uh, I believe that it helped to kind of pave the way in understanding the text better. Now to be clear, God's word is powerful in itself. So even if you don't know all that stuff, it doesn't, you don't have to know all of those things for God's word to speak to you. It's alive and active. It's literally God speaks to our hearts through his word, and that remains true. 
But we don't want to just stop there. We don't want to just stop and take the words at their, at, at, as, they, as their face value and what they and only the, the depth that we can understand them in themselves. But we want to seek to go deeper. Because what is this really about? This is about seeking the Lord, seeking our relationship with Him. And the deeper we go, the more we understand about His Word, the deeper we understand our relationship to Him. And that's ultimately our goal in this, is to just know God more. Know how He worked then and how He's still working today and how that's so important for us to grasp at any point when we're reading His Word. And that's our point today. Because it is through God's word that we can truly know and see God today. This is where he reveals himself the most, is in his very word. I mean, if I met somebody for the first time on the streets and they showed me pictures from their life and gave me, sang a song to me or did all kinds of things except talk to me, I would only have some grasp of who they were. I can experience their presence but obviously, when they actually tell me about themselves, it's a little bit more clear. And that's what the Bible does for us. It takes the experience and makes it more clear because we get to hear God's own words spoken to us. And it's in this pursuit that I find it important to take the time to truly understand the text that we'll be doing today, which I know you're all really excited about. So let's start by reading some of the text. And uh, we're going to start with just reading the first two verses. This is a, a pretty standard practice amongst the epistles. So all of the New Testament letters, they have some sort of greeting. It was just uh, mostly, for the most part, they were fairly common. A lot of greetings, grace, blessing. Uh, but this one is really particular and I think stands out. And we'll, we'll read through it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect... Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I got there. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to the obedient, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now that's quite an introduction. That's quite a greeting. It's a, again, it was standard practice, but he really takes it to the next level. He really packs in a lot into his greeting. And before he even gets to grace and peace be to you, he throws in some really big terms. And in these first two verses, again, the greeting alone, before we even getting into the depth of the letter, Peter packs in some important doctrines. He, he uses the word elect, which is a word that sparks a lot of conflict and conversation. He mentions all three parts or persons of the Trinity and how these work together to bring us our salvation today. It's a very powerful and important doctrine. It's really on my heart to take some time to explain some of these terms a little bit more in detail. But as today we're going to be spending the majority of our time preparing to get into the letter itself, I kind of feel like God put it on my heart that we're going to take time next week and we're going to go into a little bit more detail of what these terms mean, especially things like sanctifying 
and foreknowledge of God and God's elect and uh, being sprinkled by the blood. And what do these terms mean? He throws all these right in the beginning. And why would he put them in his introduction? I want to look at that next week. So that's just a teaser. Get you guys excited to tell all your friends. I know, yeah, Giannis is going to bring friends, right? <laughs> okay. First, though, let's look at who is the letter written by. It may seem obvious, but I think it's good to just kind of unpack this a little bit. In verse 1, we know in the introduction, he, it seems pretty clear. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he introduces himself uh, as Pete, Peter. Sorry, I said Paul, didn't I? Guys, that was not the first time that's happened. Peter introduces himself as Peter. And we also know that he was an eyewitness. So the author was an eyewitness to uh, Jesus Christ's suffering, meaning he was there at the cross. And uh, that's found in chapter 5 and referenced uh, also in a few other parts of the letter. But I think the third evidence that I really found most compelling is the evidence that this was not a debate in the early church. And there is some debate amongst theologians. Oh, did Peter really write this? Uh, but in the early church, when it was closer to the origins of the letter, when Peter had actually written it, there was no debate. Even though many other letters claiming to have been written by Peter were rejected by the early church. So to me, the fact that this letter, after being vetted cons- and, and considered was then added to what we now call our Bible. It was not done lightly. And it is a demonstration of its authenticity. And here in Calvary Chapel, we believe that the Bible is, again, I've said this, the Word of God. And here I want to show, just in this particular passage of the Bible, how it it stood tests. It made it in. It wasn't an accident. And this, this matters because the title because of the title given to Peter. He's not just Peter the fisherman anymore, not just Peter the disciple, he's Peter the apostle. And the apostles were invested with Christ's authority by Christ himself for the founding of the church, meaning a false claim to that authority could not be taken lightly, nor should it be taken lightly. The role of an apostle should not be taken lightly. An apostle, by the biblical understanding of what an apostle is, is somebody that was an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord. They saw Jesus after he rose. Now, an example would be Paul, who obviously wasn't there with, he wasn't a disciple in the beginning. In in the beginning, he was trying to kill the Christians, but. Jesus came to him personally and appeared to him on the road to to Damascus. So an apostle was an eyewitness to the resurrected Lord Jesus. They were personally selected by Jesus himself, called personally by name to be apostles, and tasked or infused with the authority of Jesus Christ for the founding and initiation of the church. This role as an apostle was designated for this particular time in history. They had a pouring out of the Holy Spirit in a way that they, were, that they could build the church in the way that they did. And we can see that and we look at the history of the church and how, they, how God built the church through the apostles. And uh, I believe firmly 
there are no new apostolic roles today anymore, that that season of God using apostles was for that period and the founding of the church. So this letter was, in fact, written by the apostle Peter, and that's an important thing to note as we get into the rest of the text. Now, who was Peter outside of being an apostle of Jesus Christ? Well, he started his career as a fisherman who was then called by Jesus personally. If you don't know the story, he, uh, he was just fishing, casting his nets. Jesus said, no, no, try the other side. They got loads of fish. And Jesus says, come and follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And he dropped his nets, left everything behind, and followed Jesus. But Peter was an interesting character. He has a lot of ups and downs. He's mentioned more than any other disciple in the New Testament. And uh, he was an eyewitness to countless works and wonders of Jesus. If you didn't know, the book of Mark uh, is the, basically the influence or the telling of Peter's accounting of uh, Jesus' time on the earth. Mark walked with uh, Peter and would have gotten the story directly from him. So he was the one that walked on the water. Famous story. Jesus calls to him in the midst of the storm. He gets out, walks on the water. What an amazing thing to have on your resume in your walk with the Lord, to literally have walked on water with him. He was there when Jesus healed the sick, raised the dead, preached to the people the famous sermons of Jesus himself. Peter is also the first one to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. Matthew 16, 15, verse, uh, 15 through 17. So Jesus uh, just preached a sermon and a lot, of, uh, the, a lot of his followers had left him and he asked them, you know, who do, you, who do the people say that I am? He asked his disciples and they say, oh, some say a prophet, some say Elijah. And then here he says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So it was here in this moment. First, there's something really significant that Peter is the first person to ever recognize, to see that Jesus was the Messiah. And he's given, his name was Simon. He's given here the name Peter, which means rock. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. I would say that it would be hard to not let that get to your head a little bit. I really imagine it did get to Peter's head, uh, looking at his character and some of his other Um, situations that he found himself in. But this, of course, is in no way meant to elevate Peter just because he was the first, because who gets the glory here? It wasn't you, Peter. It wasn't you that knew this. It wasn't revealed to you by yourself. You didn't figure this out. You know because it was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. It was revealed to you by God through the Holy Spirit. 
It was the revelation of God through Peter, not Peter himself. And this is also the same Peter. So we see the significance of some of the works that happened in and through Peter. But this is also the same Peter that cut off the ear of the high priest's servant in the garden when they came to take Jesus. And we see that it shows he didn't understand what was really going on. So he knew he was the Messiah, but he didn't really get it at this point. He thought that Jesus couldn't die because he was supposed to come and violently save the people to destroy their adversaries. At this time, the Romans who were occupying Jerusalem. He didn't understand that Jesus did not come to win the world through violence, but through grace. This is the same Peter that denied to even know Jesus three times as Jesus was being, going through his mock trials and being beaten on his way to the cross. I point these things out because we'll see in this letter that this is the Peter that's come a long way in his walk with the Lord, in his understanding of the gospel. He clearly has grown and changed and been molded and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Clearly not because of himself, but by the revelation of God through the Holy Spirit. And this is what we get to read here in 1 Peter. A Peter that has endured all of these things. I say this because I've made mistakes in my life. I've thought I understood something about God and found out that I was wrong and been growing all through my life in my walk with the Lord every day, hopefully continuing to the rest of my life. And so we get to see somebody's view who's been through these things, who's been up and been down, who's had it figured out and then realized they didn't really have it figured out. So Jesus, or Peter did not, had denied Jesus, and there's a famous image where Jesus met with Peter after his resurrection. He ate with him, and he uses the exact same imagery of when he called him, right? So Peter's out fishing again, can't catch anything, says a man standing on the shore. They don't recognize it's Jesus. He says, throw your nets on the other side. This is found in uh, the Gospel of John. And in this... In this moment, as they're sitting, he finally realizes that it's Jesus. And Jesus three times asked him, you know, do you love me? And this was to, to give Peter, or, or to show his forgiveness toward Peter. That Peter could redeem himself for denying Christ. And that was a gift from Jesus himself. But in that, he also gives him the command, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Be a shepherd. And this was the change, I think, that we begin to see in Peter. And in 1 Peter, in this, what we get to dive into in the next few weeks, in 1 Peter, we see a pastor's heart. We see a shepherd's heart. That he's really taken on the command of Jesus. And all through it, we'll see it more and more examples of how he truly cares for those who are receiving this letter. 
And we can even see this in who's receiving the letter. So let's look at that, the recipients of the letter. The provinces mentioned are in what is now modern-day Turkey, and it's the whole section. It's a massive amount of area. It's a huge piece of land. So those addressed would have been from a variety of backgrounds. We're talking about people who lived in the mountains, people who lived in valleys, all sorts of different backgrounds geographically, but there were also diversities in language and customs and religious backgrounds and political histories. So this letter is really going across the board and reaching all types of people. And this is also a side testament to the power of the gospel in itself, which we can look out and see in the world around us. In the unifying power of the gospel itself, that all can receive the same message and be united in their belief and following of Jesus Christ as the Lord, no matter what background, no matter where they come from. And that's what we see in this image of First Peter and who is receiving it. I think it's interesting that he makes the point to list all of the provinces that would have received the letter. Now, the majority of the people that reached this letter would have been Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish Christians. And this is the significance where we begin to see also a change in Peter's heart. Peter is writing Gentiles, and yet he calls them God's elect right at the beginning. Again, we'll look at that more next week. But he calls them God's elect, God's chosen people, a word, a term used all throughout the Old Testament for the Israelites. This is the same Peter that God had to tell three times that, yes, I've also come for the Gentiles. If you don't know the story, it's in Acts. God gives Peter a vision of uh, a blanket kind of being lowered down with all types of food that were forbidden to Jews. And he tells him to eat, take, and eat, and... Peter says, no, I can't. And God says, what I have made clean, let no man call unclean. But he takes him a while. He's still Peter. Takes him a while to get it. Three times he has to be kind of reminded of this because God was trying to send him to Cornelius, who was a uh, Roman centurion, and to share the gospel. And he still didn't quite get it. This is also the same Peter that Paul had to confront, we see in Galatians, where he refused to sit down and eat with, non, uh, with non-Jewish Christians. So he, at that point, he, he got to a point where he was like, okay, God does want to save them, but I'm not going to sit down and eat with them. This is the same Peter. So I want to just point out the significance that he's calling them chosen He's using the Old Testament imagery of God's people in his greeting. And he also he calls them exiles that are scattered. And a better word is dispersed, because uh, it's actually the Greek word that they use for dispersed is the word where we get the word dispersed in English. And it's oh, it was a word that was really common even in the in the amongst the Greeks uh, for the Jews that had been scattered abroad. And it goes all the way back to the time of them being lost in the wilderness, and, after, and also their time after uh, Babylon, when they were just kind of scattered abroad throughout the world. And so it's a word that was, he uses the same word, the same term for the Jews. So he, he really has, he gets it now. 
He sees now. He understands what had, had Christ has not come just for the Jews, but for all those who believe. So the recipients would mostly be people that would have been settled where they were. So he wasn't talking about them literally being dispersed at that time. He's using an image showing them to be just as much God's chosen people as Israel was throughout the Old Testament. They were exiles. They were dispersed. And Peter is speaking, of course, figuratively, and this is where it applies to us today. They are spiritual exiles. Spiritual exiles. Foreigners awaiting their heavenly inheritance. As the children of God, this is our promise. This is who we are. We are foreigners. We are meant to stand out in the culture around us, hoping for the inheritance to come. And again, this is from Peter. Something's changed in his heart. And we get to read his text as he's reached this point of full transformation of his heart. This comes through knowing Christ. He knew him well. He walked beside him. Was endowed with his authority as an apostle. And we get to read his words. We get to learn from his experiences and what he has to say and the wisdom he's gained in his walk with the Lord. I want to look at where, from where it was written. Peter is writing from Rome. And uh, I get this because in chapter 5, uh, he refers to where he's staying as Babylon. But it's, this couldn't be the actual city of Babylon because that would have been kind of weird. It was a city that would have been in ruins at that time. Uh, so Babylon is also was kind of a term used for Rome. We also see it in Revelation where the word Babylon is used for Rome. And so he's most likely using the symbolic reference to Rome in calling it Babylon. So he's writing this from Rome. And Peter had called them exiles. And I think a part of the reason that he calls Rome Babylon could be a way of also unifying himself to them. So not just coming to this point of understanding God's grace to all people, even the Gentiles, not even just coming to a point of understanding that God's, God's purpose in the Old Testament through the, the example of the Israelites was a demonstration of what was to come of God's chosen people. But he also identifies with them as Babylon in the Old Testament was the city where the people of Israel were taken into exile and where the, the real kind of common term at that time of exile came from. So Peter is stating he too is a foreigner in exile in this, in this city of Rome, tying himself to them. And all believers, we today are exiles in this world. We're citizens of heaven, is what Paul tells us. And as citizens of such, this is a foreign world we live in. And this will be a continued common theme all throughout this letter in how to live as foreigners in this world. Is if we are citizens of another world or of another kingdom, how should we appear to those around us? And we, looked at, we talked about this last week, that we're to be ambassadors for Christ. 
We're representation of Jesus and God's holiness. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. But we looked at that last week, so we won't get into any deeper than that. But we should look different as foreigners in this world. How are we meant to stand out? It's going to be our goal to understand throughout the series. Now, I want to look quickly also at when it was written, because this is also really significant to understanding the context of what we're looking at. The letter could be dated or is dated sometime during the reign of Nero. If you don't know who Nero was, not very popular with the Christians. In AD 54 to uh, 68 is when he reigned. And uh, so this was probably written before Nero's kind of real great persecution, which I'll look at in a second. So Peter is most likely writing this between 62 and 63 uh, AD. And it was in AD 64, if you didn't know, there was a, a huge fire in Rome. And large portions of the city were completely burned to the ground, completely lost. And a lot of the... Nero had, had already kind of been hinting and talking about how he wanted to rebuild portions of the city. So a lot of people were pointing to him and saying that he was clearly his doing that the, that where the fires had come from. But he immediately switched the blame to the Christians. And it was this moment, this instance that sparked radical and one of the worst and bloodiest persecutions of the Christian church in history. There were stories of Nero lighting the city streets throughout the night with burning bodies of Christians. He would even have garden parties in his palace and light light the light the parties through the night by burning Christians on stakes. It was a dark time in the Christian church. And it was during this persecution that Peter himself would be martyred. He would end up being crucified in Rome. And church tradition, meaning there are bits of fragments of uh, documents that point to this, but mostly we know this because it was kind of handed down uh, throughout the church history that Peter was crucified upside down because he felt that he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord, that he wasn't worthy to be crucified standing up as Jesus Christ was. Now the significance of this is that as we'll see, this letter is going to be filled. There's more references to suffering in this passage than anywhere else in the letters of the New Testament. And this has led some people to believe that he might have been referring to the persecution of Nero, but I think it's clear that that doesn't fit with the timeline. So it must have been before that persecution began, which I think tells me two possibilities for why Peter is so adamant to talk about suffering throughout this letter. And I believe also if that was the case, Peter would have referenced it more directly in his letter. So this means that the persecution he's speaking, he's speaking of throughout the, the letter is not so far off from what we might understand today. We don't see people being burned alive in the streets. 
But suffering is real. And I think at this time, what he's talking about is there was an atmosphere that had begun to change in Rome, in, in the Roman world, where Christians were ridiculed, hated, put to the side. There were patches of violence that were kind of breaking out in different patches, uh, but it wasn't a, there, was, there was no kind of mass uh, persecution yet when this letter had been written. It may not be something so far off from our modern understanding. It also leads me to believe that there also may be, there may have been a, a sense of what was to come, that something was just around the corner, just over the horizon as, as Peter was writing his letter. As Christians were slowly becoming more and more a nuisance in the society and more hated by the society and more drawn, separated from the rest of society, perhaps it started to become clear that persecution on a mass scale might not be so far off. And it really made me wonder when I was thinking about this this week, of how do we handle persecution? How do we handle suffering? Suffering is the real key term to this. Because nobody is going to probably shoot at you, I hope, (laughs) or throw rocks at you. But are you willing to suffer for Christ? How do we handle it when people question what we believe? Do we cringe at it? Do we shy away? Do we divert the conversation to something else to avoid the discomfort, the suffering? It may be minor, but how do you handle it? What do you do with it? We'll see something else in in 1 Peter's letter. He says that we should be ready to give an account for what we believe. Are we? Or are we afraid of suffering, of being looked down upon, of being ridiculed? A true fact of Christianity is that all will suffer for Christ in one way or another. It's a part of the package. I know this because Jesus himself promises us this, that it will be difficult, that we will suffer for his sake. He doesn't say, take up your sleeping bag and come camping with me. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your instrument of death and suffering and follow me. Are we willing to take up the cross? And I know that in our society, it's really easy to distance ourselves from the idea of persecution or suffering. But I want us to really be careful that we're not, as Peter did, denying Christ. Maybe not directly, but in avoiding it and shying away and being fear-driven that our pride might be hurt rather than enduring a little bit of suffering of people thinking you're an idiot because of what you believe. Because in the end, if we believe it, it is a little crazy. What we believe is a little bit crazy. But we're not of this world. We're foreigners. And as such, we have a view, a revelation of something that 
This world can't understand without the revelation of God. And we shouldn't be ashamed of it, but proud. That's where nationality or nationalism is okay, but only there. Paul tells us if we do not suffer with Christ, how, how can we then share in his inheritance? So the question is not, will you suffer? If you follow Christ, there will be a point of suffering. The question is maybe, how? How will it look? In 1 Peter 4, 16, he'll tell us, but if anyone suffers as, as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in, in this name. What I mean is that suffering looks different, I know, here in in our city than it does in the Middle East where people are bombed and shot and murdered, martyred for the name of Christ. Even though it may look different, we need to be able to say, I am prepared to suffer for Christ, even to the point where I can glorify God in it. As we see in the examples of the Bible, when they were in the midst of prison, singing songs that we can, as James says, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. That is the true confusion of Christianity when the world looks at us. It's what sets us apart as foreigners, how we stand out. The proof of this is that when that persecution of Nero began and people were being burned alive, if if you were a Christian... You walked on the streets where Christians were being burned alive. And yet the church grew. People knew what they were going to get, what they were risking. And yet they still chose, I would rather, I want to believe. Even if it means being burned alive on the streets. That is, it doesn't make sense in our rational minds. Nor should it. But we're not of this world. We're foreigners, and we should stand out. And this is one important way that Peter is going to point to again and again throughout his letter. That suffering, and the way that we endure suffering, sets us apart from any other belief, any other understanding, any other worldview that we see. So we should ask, am I prepared to look foolish, to be looked down on, Am I not afraid what my colleagues might think if they know what I truly believe? And if they ask me, will I give them an answer? Am I ready to give an answer? I think ready to give an answer doesn't just mean knowing the answer. It means being ready to speak it. So the key point of this letter, as we'll continue to see, is that those called by God that persevere in faith, in their faith, through any and all of the sufferings that we may face in this life, to the very end, they should not be discouraged in this or feel hopeless or abandoned, but rather feel full of hope. One, because of the hope that we have of that we're citizens of heaven. We are children of God. We belong to something greater than this world. 
Greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. And we have that as a hope. And the second is the hope that we, not just in what's to come, but what we have now. The church didn't grow amongst the persecution only because of the idea of heaven. It was because of the hope that they saw in people. People being burned alive that were praising God. Praying for God's forgiveness for those who persecuted them. That's so radical and different to what we expect to see in this world. And we have a hope and a joy and a peace that we receive now through Jesus Christ, even in the midst of suffering. We have this through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our relationship with him, and we can rest in that. Peter's going to continue and many, many times through this encourage us to endure suffering and persecution. Not because we need to buckle down and get through it, but because we have something greater than anything we face. This is done, he says, by giving it all to God. In 1 Peter four nineteen. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Wow. And that's going to be the core message of 1 Peter. We are to remain faithful in times of distress, knowing that God has promised to vindicate us and that we will certainly enjoy the salvation that we've received through Jesus Christ as was promised us. So this is our overview. This is what we're going to be diving into in the coming weeks in 1 Peter. And we've only begun to scratch the surface on any of these issues and topics that we touched on today. My hope in this is that you'll maybe have a hunger to want to know more about this, want to know more about how to stand out in a foreign world, want to know more and be excited, I hope, about what we're going to be getting to in this letter. And I always encourage you guys, anytime we're getting into a new topic, a new letter, to take some time and read through it. It's only five chapters, or at least read through chapter one this coming week before we get into next week's message so that you can kind of have a groundwork laid. And something I want to do throughout this series, uh, I can start today, um, although we mostly did overview, but we'll definitely throughout this series, uh, something we used to do in Calvary Chapel a while back, uh, especially on the Wednesday service. As far as I know, I don't think they do it right now, but I think it would be good for this particular series, is that after the service, uh, we want to kind of, I want to invite people to come up, if you want to come up to the front and do like a little Q&A if, there's, if we're too big of a group, we'll see how it goes. But um, that we can really understand this. I don't want anyone to leave more confused, but we can really understand what God wants to say to us through Peter's letter. So I'll just kind of let you know that throughout this series, we'll be kind of opening that up as well. I want to invite the band to come back up as we close or start the close of our service. Uh, we'll take some time really quickly for the offering. So I'll invite the ushers to... Uh, prepare to take that up, and I'll just remind you that it's uh, you know it's it's good, and it's a blessing to be able to give to the Lord. And this is not about uh, it's not about the building that we're in. 
It's not about this place, but it's about what God wants to do here through this place. It's about what God is building in people. We are the church, and that's what we're really investing in and what God wants to do here through this place. And so if, uh, if you have it on your heart to give today, this is an opportunity to do that. Nobody needs to feel pressured to give. Uh, before we take it up really quick, I just want to, sorry, I just want to pray and then we'll take up the offering. Father, we thank you so much for what you're building here in Freiburg. Lord, that you are building up believers, you're building up your church, and that is us. We are the body of Christ. And so we want to pray a blessing on this offering and that it would be used, Lord, to that purpose, for the furthering of your kingdom, for what you want to build, what you want to do through this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, you guys can take up the offering.